morning. Welcome to Chapel Street Church here on our South Street campus. They pulled me out of retirement, so I'm back. And it's good to uh, see everyone this morning to be able to worship God together. A couple of announcements before we uh, begin worshiping. And the very first one is we're hitting uh, our Holy Week and Easter season. And uh, we do have our Holy Week services again this year. They'll be held at Kesslinger Campus. Uh, If you've never attended, it's one of the most meaningful services of the year where there's a table towards the center of the room and we come to the table uh, together and are able to, uh, to worship God that way through communion and uh, encourage you to attend. The hours this year are a little different. We are at Thursday at 6 for Monday Thursday, and then Good Friday is at 5 and 7. I encourage you to attend those. It's a great uh, beginning towards what we do on Easter, which of course is celebrate the resurrection, and that's going to be uh, at 9 and 10.30 here. So if you've been waiting for a 10.30 service because you like to sleep in, Easter is your day. So uh, those will be the two that we'll be able to attend that day as well. Uh, the extravaganza is something that we do in our kids' ministry, and that's going to be this, Sunday, or this weekend. I know they could still use a little help, but if you've got kids who would like to experience that journey or uh, know of some, it's still not too late to get in on our website. Uh, the registration is there uh, on our brand new sparkling website uh, that maybe you've seen so far. And then, uh, let's see, finally, I did want to let folks know about Gil Beers. Uh, He passed away on Wednesday, and there will be a a ceremony or a uh, memorial funeral first. It's private, but then a memorial on April 20th at 10 a.m. right here in this building. So uh, we wanted to let you know that as well. Well, why don't we stand, and we'll begin our worship service this morning with a call to worship, and then we will worship God together with some great hymns. Let's begin. I'll start. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad. How great are your works, Lord, how profound your thoughts. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. 
so glad to be here at South Street this morning. You know, it's been a couple of weeks since I've got to come and worship with you, and it's always good for my soul just to sit with you guys, sing to the Lord together. I hope that that's always your experience at church, that you come, and no matter what's going on in life, that this can be a place where, as we always say, you can experience God's grace, grow in your faith, and make an impact right where you are. So good to be together. Well, uh, this morning we are looking at the story of the Good Shepherd uh, in John 10, continuing this series in the Unrecognized King. And this week I've been thinking a lot about what it means to not recognize, what it means to not see clearly. And I was thinking in particular of a time that uh, I was watching uh, a very popular show from England called Britain's Got Talent, very similar to Americans Got Talent. Is anybody here who's a fan of those shows? Okay, so I'm the only one living an unhealthy life. That's good. Um, But uh, the premise of the show, you might be familiar, is the average person on the street gets to come in and perform before a panel of kind of expert judges in entertainment and music. Uh, And most often, the person coming in, their talent is to sing. Uh, And one such person came onto the show one day, a woman called Susan Boyle. We've got a picture of her here. Susan Boyle, lovely woman, kind of salt of the earth, British lady, uh, and she crossed the stage, and immediately, people expected very little from her. Didn't, didn't think that very much was going to happen. She just didn't have the look of someone who was going to blow them away. She didn't have the feel of someone who was going to blow them away. She was kind of a little goofy, a little silly, and the judges themselves, they kind of rolled their eyes, looked at her like, yeah, we're not, this is not going to be a winner for us, so let's just kind of get through this as quickly as we can and move on. And then Susan began to sing. And what came out of her mouth was some of the most beautiful music that any of them had ever had. In fact, the entire room, an audience of probably thousands, fell silent as Susan sang. And all of a sudden, they began to recognize who was on that stage. Wasn't who they had expected. Wasn't what they had first assumed. This woman was the star that they'd been looking for the entire time. You know, when I think about this series and we think about Jesus, Jesus is similar to that. Jesus is this figure who walks onto the scene in the Gospels who people often expect very little of, assume the worst about him. And yet Jesus in his life and his teachings begins to sing a song of incredible beauty that blows people away. In the last couple of weeks, we've heard about some of the lyrics of that song, some of the melody of that song when we've seen Jesus heal men born blind. We've seen Jesus care for those that others don't care for. Feeding 5,000 people. Jesus is singing a melody that we need to recognize. We need to see that he's singing a song of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The other problem that's happening at the same time, though, is not everyone is recognizing this song. Not everyone is recognizing this great king. That's why we call it the unrecognized king. Because even as he's doing these things, even as he's performing these incredible miracles and serving and loving and healing people, there is a growing level of hostility towards him. Even as Jesus often says, I am, there are crowds of people who says, no, you're not. Particularly the religious leaders. Over the course of the last few chapters that we've read in John, we've gone through all the way from John 6 now to John 10. And in the course of those four chapters, there's this escalating argument with the religious leaders. They have called him illegitimate, which is a reference to the fact that uh, he was born of a virgin or supposedly born of a virgin. Obviously, in the eyes of the religious leaders, they just assumed that he was an illegitimate child. So they held that against him. We can't listen to you because you don't have a real father. 
You were born in sin. They go on to call him crazy and a sinner. And Jesus has met their contempt with contempt of his own. And in fact, in one point in John 8, he calls them children of Satan. How would you like to hear that insult? This week, it continues to escalate in John 10 because, again, Jesus is going to make an I am statement. He's going to say, I am the good shepherd. But have you incorporated the identity of the good shepherd into your understanding of Jesus? Do you recognize him in that way? Do you see what it means for your life, what it means about who God is? That's what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to see three things about what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. First, it means that he is the shepherd that calls us. Second, it means that he is the shepherd that leads us. And lastly, he is the shepherd that dies for us. Let's talk about what it means that he is the shepherd that calls. I remember when I was about 14 years old, I got my very first cell phone. It was like this big and it could only do calls. That was it. That was all it was fun. My mom bought me it specifically so that when I was with my friends, I could call home. But the one thing I loved about this phone is that you could personalize the ringtone. You could know who's calling you by giving them a little piece of music. And as time went on, this little feature became kind of the favorite feature of phones for teenagers. I remember me and my friends decided which phone we were going to buy by how customizable the ringtones were. Whether you could put your favorite song on there for someone and it, it was so fun because you could screen calls so easily that way. You didn't even have to pick it out of your pocket. For example, if I was hanging out with my friends and I did not want to go home and I heard my mom's ringtone, I'm like, oh, we can just silence that. Because <laughs> if you know the call, if you understand the call, if you are familiar with the sound of the call, you know what you want to do with it. Now Jesus, what he begins by telling us when he speaks in John 10 is that he is a shepherd that calls us. And the question for us is, how are we going to respond to that call? How are we going to respond to the shepherd that calls? This is what he says in John 10, verses 1 through 6. Truly, 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 I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This chapter comes right out of what we just read in John chapter 9. If you went here or you have forgotten, what happened at the end of John chapter 9 is that Jesus heals a man born blind, and the religious leaders refuse to believe this miracle. They interrogate the man, they interrogate his parents, and in the end, they throw him out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. And Jesus meets with him, meets back with this man who's been throwing out the church, and, and reveals himself to him. And the man worships at his feet. This comes right out of that. Jesus has seen the religious leaders fail to care for someone, and now he's going to talk about what real care means. By identifying as a shepherd. As a kind of a language in a well that people back then would have understood probably a lot better than us, but there's still some things that are really evident to us. We hear that it was confusing to many of his listeners. Maybe it's confusing to you, but I want to tell you two things. First, what this means is that God is calling to you. Jesus is calling to you. In the prophet Isaiah, God told his people the following, 
Now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's the call of a shepherd. A shepherd calling to those who belong to him to come to him, to know him, to experience his care. And that tells us a lot about who God is. It tells us that God is the one who desires for us to know him. God wants for you to know him. There's been a view throughout history that's been popular known as deism. If you haven't heard of deism, what the general idea of deism is, is that God is this cosmic watchmaker who put everything together, he assembled everything, he created everything, he spun it off, and once it was ticking, he left it alone and he walked away. And that was a really popular view throughout a lot of history. And in fact, some of the American founding fathers were deists. This is how they thought about God. They thought about him as one who did create everything. He was very much real, but he wasn't involved. He wasn't personal. And that's a very misguided view because again and again in Scripture, God said he calls to us. He calls to us by our own name. What this means is that he doesn't just call to us in a general sense. He doesn't just call out to humanity to know him. If he calls you by name, it means he calls you personally. Every human being He knows their name. In the Psalms, it tells us that the number of his thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand on the beach because he knows each sheep by name. That's an intimate way of calling. The good shepherd, he doesn't say, hey, you, come over here. I need to talk to you. He doesn't call us coldly. He calls us by our names. My favorite pastor, Tim Keller, he says that what this means is that God knows you to the bottom of who you are. He's seen absolutely everything there is to know about you. And in fact, God knows you better than you know you. So when he calls you by name, there is an understanding that he has about you. For some of you, that's not nearly as intimidating as it should be. That God knows everything about you, sees everything about you, understands your motives, your drives, your passions, your sins. For others of you, that idea is almost too frightening to bear. You'd rather not think about the fact that God knows your name. Because if he knows you and has seen you, then he might reject you. If this God truly uncovers you, what might happen? I want you to know this morning that no matter who you are and what you have done, where you find yourself in life, The God of creation calls to you by name. He calls to you by name. Because he wants you to know him. Because he is not put off by you. Because he is not pushed away by you. He wants you to not just have a theory about him or some facts about him. He wants you to know him personally, intimately, as one who calls your name. To know his name as he knows your name. Some of you have felt the call of God, but you have been unsure of how to answer. You ever lost your phone? It's the most frustrating feeling in the world. You reach into your pocket and it's gone. And so what do you do? You get a friend. I often get my wife, Janae. I'm saying, Janae, I need you to call my phone. I've lost it. And so she starts calling. And then I just hear this, the faintest whisper, usually of a little buzz because I've left it on vibrate. Or sometimes you'll just hear the faintest sound of it somewhere in the house. 
So what do you do? You follow the sound. You follow it. You get closer to it, and it gets louder. The louder it gets, the closer you more, you more closely you follow it. You see, the good shepherd's call isn't a generic call. It's a call to follow him, to come after him, that when you hear his voice, you move towards it. In 2 Thessalonians 2, this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, we ought always give thanks to God for you, brothers, meaning the church, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, meaning sanctification and belief in the truth, to that he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't just call you out, he calls you to. He calls you to specifically follow him, to grow in obedience to him, to understand his teachings and to, to replicate them in your life, to grow in, in Christ-likeness. That's what sanctification is. It means you are growing more and more into the person that God has made you. It means caring about what he cares about. Many of us want to answer the call of God in our lives. We've heard it. We, we hear the faint buzzing of his call. But our struggle is that we don't want to follow it. We don't want to follow where he leads because we trust ourselves too much. Trust ourselves too much. I want to encourage us as the church this morning, don't keep hitting mute on the call like I used to do with my mom. When you hear that familiar ringtone, when you hear the call of God, don't, don't put it to the side and say, well, I'll get to it later. There'll always be more time. He'll call again, and it'll be a more convenient time, or I'll be in a better place in my life, and I can respond to him better then. Whatever it is for you that is, that is holding you back from following the call of God in your life, don't put it off. Follow him, because he's a good shepherd. It is better to trust him than yourself. It is better to believe his words about you than your words about yourself. Do it now. Follow him. The truth is we can't wait because we need a shepherd like him. We need a shepherd like him. We need a shepherd that leads. Because if he is a shepherd, that means we're sheep. And sheep are not the most amazing analogy to be uh, sitting under. I want to show you a video real quick of what I mean, of, of what happens to a sheep. I think we're going to pop it up here. So right here we've got a shepherd pulling a sheep out of a ditch, got itself stuck right there. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? It's free. It's running free. Good. What a great shepherd. What? Oh, wait. No. Oh. <laughs> Is anyone really surprised? We knew we were going to go that direction as soon as you saw the picture of a sheep because sheep are not the cleverest of animals. I've got a picture here for you of a sheep named Shrek. This is Shrek the sheep. Shrek is a merino sheep from New Zealand, and he did not go out to get sheared with the rest of his flock one day because he, uh, he wandered off in another direction, ended up finding some caves, and he ended up living in those caves for six years. Six years. His wool grew and grew and grew, and he came back, and that's what he looked like. Covered, head to toe, couldn't move, got himself stuck. Sheep are dumb. 
They need to be shepherded for a whole host of reasons. They tend to eat poisonous plants. If they don't have a shepherd directing them, they'll eat poisonous plants. If they fall on their back, they can't get back up. They're just stuck there until someone flips them over. They end up dying that way. They're vulnerable to predators, and their defense tactic is to huddle together and point their backs out towards the wolves and the predators. Very clever. They are sometimes so idiotic that they will wander off the edge of cliffs all by themselves. We could go on and on and on. Jesus understood that sheep were a perfect analogy for us. And that's why the perfect analogy for him is that he is a good shepherd, because he is a shepherd that leads his sheep. That's what it says in John 10, verses 7 through 10. Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants to lead his sheep to life. Now, Jesus has mentioned a couple of times in this passage now, we've had this phrase, thieves and robbers. It says people who don't enter by the door are thieves and robbers. Jesus was saying this purposefully because he was in the presence of some people who had been charged to be shepherds and who had failed to do so. They had become thieves and robbers instead. It's not the first time that God has spoke this way about those who were supposed to lead his people spiritually, people who were supposed to care for them. Listen to this passage from Ezekiel 34, just verses 1 and 2 to begin with. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, to the prophet Ezekiel, and he said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Thieves and robbers, because they feed themselves. That's what had become of the shepherds in Israel's day, in Jesus' day. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the priests, those who were meant to care for and lead the people and direct them towards the Word of God, lead them to justice and mercy and grace, they had become selfish and bloated and far too interested in power and reputation than in caring for people. The principal problem that we saw in the last chapter is that they were spiritually blind. They didn't see their own need for a shepherd, and so they weren't good shepherds to others. And honestly, we are often in danger of the same thing. It's easy to villainize them and set them up as the the bad guys in the story, but more often than we like to admit, the people in the story that are most important for us to see are the bad guys, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, because just like they didn't recognize their need for a good shepherd or the presence of their good shepherd, we can do likewise. And it twists us until we become bad shepherds. I want to just pause for a moment and say something important. If you have ever been wounded by this church or other churches, if you ever feel like your trust has been abused, if you ever feel like your shepherds have failed you, and this does happen in every church, I want you to hear me. God is deeply grieved by this. He is filled with righteous anger about this. 
because this is not what he has asked of those he has entrusted the care of his sheep. Know that God sees your pain. And this is not just pastors. This is not just leaders in the church. Certainly we've seen our fair share of this. I've had to repent myself and ask for God's forgiveness because there's many times in my life I have failed to shepherd. But this is a problem for everyone who calls himself a Christian. We have to make sure that we are recognizing our need for a shepherd that leads us. Jesus says to Peter, you remember, after his resurrection, he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course I do. And what Jesus says is, then feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. The call for every Christian, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, is to care for the sheep around you. To care for those around you that need the mercy of God, the love of God, to hear the good news of the gospel. How are you pouring yourself into caring for the body? How are you not just taking on the identity of a sheep, but also of a shepherd, an under-shepherd to the great and good shepherd? who is replicating his good care for those around you. Follow him and invest yourself in caring for the body. Don't be a shepherd like them. God's response to this lack of shepherding, I want to jump back to Ezekiel 34. He astoundingly says this, what men have failed to do, I'm going to do myself. All the way, thousands of years before Jesus was born, he speaks through Ezekiel, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture, and they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd, the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. God himself speaks years before Jesus' day, saying, I'm coming to be the good shepherd. Hopefully you're beginning to feel some of what Jesus' listeners felt. The religious leaders, it wasn't just another teaching to them, it was a deep condemnation of their role. And when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, they made no mistake, he was saying, I'm God. I'm the one Ezekiel spoke about. And I have come to take care of my sheep. That last verse of Ezekiel 34 that we read, verse 15 I myself will be the shepherd and I will make them lie down. Does that remind you of another famous passage? Psalm 23. One of the most famous passages in all the scripture says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. See, the shepherd comes to bring rest to his sheep, to provide for their needs. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give them life and life abundantly. Jesus' leadership in your life, it's not meant to strip you or stifle you. It's meant to strengthen your joy, deepen your joy, give you life and life abundantly. And anything less than Jesus cannot give you abundant life. In the Chronicles Narnia, the silver chair, which is it's a strange book because it's not the most popular one in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the one usually that people have read the least. And yet there's some of the best things in there. 
C.S. Lewis is telling the story of this girl Jill and meeting Aslan. Aslan the lion, who's kind of the, the analogy for Jesus. And Jill sees this terrifying Aslan, and he seems so scary to her, and she says, well, I'm so scared, I don't want to come near you. And there's a stream that Aslan's drinking from, and, and Jill is thirsty. But she says, I don't want to come near you, I don't want to drink out of this stream because it's frightening, because you're frightening to me. And Aslan says, if you don't come and drink, you will die of thirst. And Jill says, oh dear, I better, I better find another stream then. And Aslan says, there is no other stream. C.S. Lewis, again, using a a beautiful, simple story to help us understand. Life abundantly is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. We can look for other streams. We can look for other shepherds. But none of them will care for us the way that he does. None of them. So a challenge for us is to ask ourselves, are we willing to follow his lead? Are we willing to look at every area of our life and say, good shepherd, lead me in abundant life. Lead me in my parenting, in my marriage, in my career. Lead me in my recreation. Lead me in my family. God wants life for you more than you want life for you. And how does he do this? How does he provide this for you? He is the shepherd that dies. The shepherd that dies. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division amongst the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There's a deep division after Jesus' words, this, this teaching about being a good shepherd, a deep division. Some think he's insane. Some are curious. They want to know more. They're recognizing something about him. And what Jesus wants them to recognize is that his shepherding comes at a great personal cost. We always like to imagine that the true heroes are completely victorious. That was the idea in Israel's day, that the true Messiah, the real Messiah, the one who would save them, was going to be victorious in everything. How could he lay down his life? How could he die? That doesn't sound like a Messiah. Anyone who knows me really well, they know that my favorite superhero is Superman. He's great. He's awesome. I'm not as much into Batman as many people are. I promise there's a very intelligent point from this ridiculous analogy. But the reason most people don't like Superman is because he, he's, he's really too powerful. He never gets hurt. There's never any real danger to Superman. People like lesser heroes, action heroes, because there's risk. And so their courage means something. Because they're putting themselves in situations where they could lose their life. Jesus has that kind of courage. 
He's not God come down with no real risk to himself. He's God come down to intentionally, willfully, voluntarily lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus knows what it's going to cost him to shepherd his sheep. To truly lead, he must die. Where other shepherds would run, where hired hands would run because they don't really care, Jesus is going to stay. He's going to confront the wolves. He's going to face our demons and the things that frighten us. Jesus mentions in this teaching, he has sheep not of this flock. And that kind of slides past us as just an interesting comment, but that would have got Jesus in incredible trouble. Because what Jesus is inferring is there's people outside of Israel, outside of the ethnic group of the Jews that I have come to die for that I've come to bring into the people of God. And the religious leaders, they would have thought of this as blasphemy, to, to poison the, the Jewish people by bringing in Gentiles, bringing in people that weren't chosen by God, that, that don't live like us, that don't act like us. Keep them out. In fact, this was so enraging that this is why they say he's a demon, he's insane. He's saying that Gentiles need to come and join us. They're failing to recognize the heart of God, the call of God, the leadership of God. They don't see that what it truly means to shepherd. It, if you want to be a shepherd of the people of Israel, the people of God, it means you must lay down your life for all of them. To wrap up, I just want to say three things that I want to recognize about his laying down of his life for the sheep. It's important for us for three reasons. And you might be tempted, you hear this, we, we hear the story of Jesus laying down his life, and so it becomes just almost a little, a little stale. But it should never grow stale to us that the good shepherd lays down his life, ever. It's incredible for three reasons. First of all, it's voluntary. Probably one of the most incredible things that Jesus ever said is, for this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. It's important to remember in a few weeks when we reach Easter, and we start talking about some of this, where it's all heading. Because what Jesus is saying is, it's not going to be the religious leaders that put me on that cross. It's not going to be Pontius Pilate who puts me on that cross. And I want you to hear this this morning. It's not even your sin that put him on that cross. It is his own choice. It is his voluntary, willful choice to die for the sins of mankind. No one is taking his life from him. He is putting himself on the altar. He's choosing to do it. He's saying, I am in control. I'm putting this into motion. I'm choosing to do this. So don't waste your life trying to motivate God to love you because he's already chosen to do it. He's seen the depths of who you are. He's not obligated to die for you. He chooses to die for you. Second thing, it's also purposeful. Jesus laying down his life is purposeful. It's not just an example to us of great courage. It's a work intended to unify his sheep, provide for his sheep, nourish his sheep. If you want to confront the deepest brokenness in your life, the ugliest things that you're afraid of, bring it to the good shepherd. Bring it to the good shepherd who lays himself down for you that he might nourish you with his life. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And at this table, we remember that he has nourished us with his own life, laying himself down for us. He's taking our place He's dying in our place. And that leads us to the third thing. It's important because it's voluntary. It's important because it's purposeful. It's important because nothing shows the great love of the shepherd like the way that he lays his life down for us. It's born of great love. 
Jesus says to his disciples on the last night that they are together before the cross in John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. The good shepherd ultimately is good because he loves us, because he cares about us. His laying himself down is a demonstration of his love for you, that he is willing to go to the furthest lengths to bring you back to him. You are not a disappointment or a burden. You are not a thorn in his side. You are not a weight on his shoulders. We are told in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knows you and he lays himself down anyway because he loves you. He was aware of every sin that you would ever commit. He understands the depths of you better than you do. And he still did it because he loves you. Anytime you feel unloved by God, you confront that lie with the knowledge of the good shepherd who gave himself up for you. I've been really impacted over the last few weeks by Galatians 2.20. There's those moments in your life where you're reading the Bible and just this one very familiar, something you've had a hundred times, it just strikes you in a new way. Galatians 2.20 says this, I do, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The good shepherd who lays down his life. The way you find life, abundant life, is by trusting yourself to the shepherd who lays himself down. You live through following him. Isaiah tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. Jesus is saying, I know you. I know your name. And I am the one that you need. That's his call to us this morning. He is a good shepherd. He's calling to us all today to come after him, to acknowledge our need for this shepherd who can care for us, who can lead, for, lead us, who has died for us. If you hear his call today, do not harden your heart. Don't mute the phone. Listen to his voice. Follow his voice. Open your heart up to him. Recognize him. See him as the good shepherd. And follow him. In a moment, we are going to take communion. To remember this great shepherd who laid his life down for us. But before I do, I just want to close together in prayer. And I want to come to the Lord's table and get our hearts right. Get our hearts in a place where we do recognize. We recognize the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's what we do every time we take his body, we take his blood. When we eat the bread and we drink of the cup, we are proclaiming the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So let me pray for us, and then we'll come to the Lord's table together. Father, I thank you for sending your son to a wayward flock of sheep. Isaiah was right, Lord. All of us have gone astray. And yet Jesus told us the story of a sheep that went astray that the shepherd went after. And he is that good shepherd who has come after us. He has come to make us lie down in green pastures. He has come to give us life abundantly. So Father, this morning as we proclaim his death and his resurrection, Lord, let us listen to his call. Let us follow him and let us find life in him and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Just before we take communion this morning, uh, if 
if you've been hearing the call of uh, God in your life, and you don't know what that means to follow Jesus, to, 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 to follow him out, you're wrestling with that. I want to encourage you this morning. Scripture tells us all that we need to do is to confess with our mouth our need for him, to pray to him and call him and say, Lord, be my savior, be my good shepherd. If you pray that, you don't need to understand everything, you don't need to be anything for him. He will be everything for you. And that's what we proclaim when we come to communion. So I invite you to take this, whether you have been a follower of Jesus for a while or even if this morning you are wanting to follow him for the first time. What we do when we take these elements is we remember two things. That we are sinners in need of a savior and that Christ is that savior by giving himself for us. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples on his last night, he took bread, said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take this and eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, Jesus took a cup. He said, this cup is my blood that is poured out as part of a new covenant, a new promise for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of him. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that though we were sheep that went astray, you sent your son. And this is love, not that we have loved you, but that you have loved us and sent your son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We bless you and we praise you, for you are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Be with us, lead us, and teach us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. stand together.
Lord, as we leave this morning, we do offer you our hearts and our minds and our intellect and our will, and I pray that you will allow us to be aligned with you as we hear your call, as we listen to your voice, and as we follow you for our lives. In your son's name, amen. Dismissed. Thank you.